the average Joe the plumber. Right. And then the, plus they've got sinks with who knows what going down them. I mean, you know, they got laboratory-like things going on there. Right. But um, And then there's probably little industries, little businesses that are doing things, and they're just sending stuff down the drain, you know, and they're not – and they're kind of like out of sight, out of mind. It's gone. And who knows what kind of crazy there is in that. Right. So floors – that end up having that stuff embedded in them, that that's it's enough to make me a little bit nervous. Not something you necessarily want your newborn baby crawling across, I would think. But floors where it's made from what comes out of my butt. Right. I'm I'm totally cool with that. I'm pretty okay with that too, because you like know, you're okay uh, with the stuff that comes out of my butt. Well, <laughs> maybe not. Well, I mean, maybe your butt, but <laughs> definitely my butt. I'm comfortable with. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Probably your butt too. I mean, you know. I'm a <laughs> Oh, uh, I I think I uh, that but that's maybe that's just me. I, I I like my quality thing. I'm not I'm not gonna, I'm trying to think of like what could there be that I would be concerned about. And frankly, I've thought about a lot of details, and my concerns are thoroughly mitigated. In fact, I've got nothing. I I'm thinking like totally safe. I I can't think of a thing that that would that raises even a tiniest bit of concern in me for those cottonwood floorboards. Yes. I would. I mean, I have to agree. I would much rather see myself spreading my own treated poop near trees, say, for tree fertilizer or for really, at this point, in my opinion, any type of fertilizer for anything. If it's my poop and my poop alone, um, I'd much rather see that, say, than Roundup sprayed on on the same area you know and that's uh that i think that that's saying a lot since i think that your average uh your average joe would probably be more apt to put roundup on his yard than his own treated feces all right <clears throat> let's talk for a moment about the two wells that are on the property so you've got you've kind of mapped out that the groundwater flows a different uh, a particular direction and at the same time uh, you have carefully monitored where the water table is throughout the year. And, you, and, and I was visiting with you earlier, and it sounds like in general, on average, you do a whole bunch of measuring from each well uh, twice a month. And, um, and so not only do you, you see where the water table is at the moment, but you also uh, you know, get a sample and you measure it in a bunch of different ways. And um, in general, the wells, the water table is about 25 feet down, give or take. I mean, it goes up and down throughout the seasons right. um, a little bit, a few feet. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's like six feet, I think, tops. It comes, it, it, it'll go down another six feet, essentially. Right, yeah, and um, which is, you know, pretty reasonable because you are right next to the river. Right, we're within 100, 100 feet of the river, I'd say. Yeah, and um, now the water... The two wells are placed in such a way that one is where the water in the water table is um, heading towards your trees, mm-hmm. and the other one is where the water is heading away from your trees. Right. So so essentially what I call the upper gradient monitoring well is strictly just Clark Fork water recharging the groundwater aquifer. Fair enough. Um, the next or the lower gradient or downstream monitoring well will capture water that has passed underneath of the irrigated poplars. So 
what we're able to do is look at the chemical concentrations in the before treatment well, if you will, and test that against the chemical constituents found in the well after the treatment. So in more or less words, what that allows us to do is to see what impact our treatment has had on groundwater, if any at all. So in, in under 10 seconds, what, what has the impact been? The impact has been reduced nutrients over time. So it has made the water cleaner. Something has made the water cleaner, whether that's our treatment or something that's going on in the environment around. Yes, the water is cleaner. I personally would like to think that it is what we have done on the land above the groundwater that has made the groundwater cleaner. Okay. Let's, let's talk for a moment about um, what was the land like before you – so four years ago you started this project. And what was the land like then? So in 2008, when I first got involved in the project, I went out to get a bunch of soil samples to just look at what the existing soil was like, and <laughs> and I used the category. This soil is like asphalt. <laughs> this soil. In fact, it is asphalt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, the site before it had trees on it, uh, before there was even a wastewater treatment plant there, was a historic dump site, So, which also allowed open burning, which is kind of frightful when you consider the river was still where it was then as to where it is now. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of trash in the soil. Um, and then off and on from the 60s to now, there's been at least two to three staging areas done on that land. So there's been buildings on the land, there's been asphalt on the land, there's been vehicles on the land, uh, perhaps maybe leaking petroleum in different spots on the land. So really by the time I showed up in 2008, I classified the uh, the soil as different levels of parking lot structure was, was exactly, there was either minimal weeds in the parking lot or just straight parking lot, and it was a uh, gravelly soil, essentially void of all organic material. Okay, so you had 47 different flavors of toxic shitstorm and, like, not living soil. Very, I would say, not living soil. Um, in fact, unfortunately, uh, it was decided that the entire area needed to be sprayed with Roundup before the project even began. So I think that that had a little something to do with the fact that it looked like a parking lot. But also, if you went out there and you dug around in the soil with your hands, there was a lot more rock than there was soil, it seemed like. Well, I know you showed me some samples, and it's like you, the, the asphalt is still out there. Absolutely. There's some monitoring holes that have not one but two layers of asphalt inside of them. So then they laid down asphalt, and then dirt piled up on top of that, and then they put more asphalt on that. Certainly would seem that way, or it was <laughs> or like, some kind of like backfill, like, hey, there's not enough asphalt in this soil. Let's just throw more in there. <laughs> more in there. Okay, all right, all right. So, um, and then your planting technique was interesting. So the planting technique, uh, we used what's called unrooted whips. So on existing poplar trees, these whips were cut off of branches, and they were each about 18 inches long, um, and about the diameter of your thumb was a good-sized one. And um, <clears throat> in order to plant that in this rocky substance, we used a steel stake, pounded that in the ground, kind of wiggled it around so that we had a nice definite hole, pulled it up, 
and then stuck the whip inside that hole that we had just created. <laughs> Good luck, whip! Yeah, exactly, which really didn't seem like it was going to work, but um, we then pushed a little bit of soil into the remaining hole around the whip, poured a little bit of water on it, and then the next fright for me was that, hey, you know, we've got all these sticks. They've got, each one had its own microspray head, uh, its own irrigation source. Uh, but my biggest fear was, hey, I'm throwing this water into a parking lot. How much of that is actually going to stay in an area where the trees can utilize it? And at this point, the trees didn't even have any roots. So I thought it best to put mulch around each of the trees, which is what I ended up doing. And believe it or not, my survival rate across all three poplar species was over 90%. Wow, wow. Yeah, it was it was pretty amazing, and it's still one of those kind of on-the-sleeve type statistics I like to wear with the project. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then uh, now each of those little whips, uh, each of those little sticks that you stuck in the ground uh, is, is about 20 feet tall, over 20 feet tall. I would say over 20 feet tall. They were uh, they were pushing 18 feet at the end of the growing season last year, and then you've got you generally get a little bit of uh, biomass loss from year to year because the winter time will maybe take winter and wind and animals will inevitably take a few inches to a few feet off the trees depending on what the source was. And I would say now that I've got trees over the average tree is over 22 feet going into probably the tallest, around 25, 28 feet. Okay, all right. <clears throat> so um, roughly we're seeing about four to six feet growth per season. All right. So now I know that in other podcasts and also in um, uh, several threads on permies, we refer to these species of trees as poop beasts. Um, well, and, and it's because there's not, I mean, most trees, when they get to um, poop, you know, they, they like, it's like um, uh, when we talk about making a dry outhouse, and it's a pit in the ground, and then you, you try and keep the pit dry. You direct any surrounding water away from the pit, and then you have a big roof over it to make sure that, you know, the, the pit can stay dry. And then you plant cottonwoods, poplars, and willows around it, and then their roots will find the pit, and, and then they'll actually develop roots in the pit in with the, the poop. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, whereas other species of tree will start to get close to the pit, and then they'll say, whoa, that, that's way too hot, man. I'm not getting anywhere near that. Mm -hmm. that's, that's too much. So these, these are trees that are really good at taking it up, and they're, you know, so they have, and they're not bashful at all about it. So uh, we call them poop beasts. <laughs> Well, that's what I, on Permies, I've always yeah. called them poop beasts. The, the, the poop beasts seem to really enjoy the site out there. I mean, anybody, and, and even you today could see it, anybody can come out and see that it's a success as far as these trees not being affected by the quality of water being poured on them. So now the soil quality four years ago was rated as similar to asphalt. And then today we're out there, and how would you describe the soil today four years later? <laughs> uh, a lot better. Um, I would say within, it took about two years to start to see what uh, soil scientists call melanization. So essentially a melanization of the soil is a darkening in the soil profile because of nutrients leaching down into the soil profile. So by pouring this nutrient-rich 
water on the soil, we've not only allowed the trees to grow, but we've also allowed a lot of different types of weed to, weeds to grow, some more beneficial than others. Uh, but over time, going in and removing those weeds, whether that be with a lawnmower, pulling them by hand, or weed whacking them down, we've allowed this organic matter to build up into the soil, as we were talking about earlier, and then as that breaks down, the nutrients contained in that organic material slowly make their way through the soil profile to be munched on by bacteria or to be pulled up by trees. And so, depending on where you're at in the site, you know, still, I find that still in areas that are in the very, you know, for the for the listeners out there, if you can imagine trees in 40-foot spaced rows, there's still areas in the very center of those rows where the soil does still resemble a parking lot. That being said, as you move away from that center area, you start to see much more soil development in a, in a rate at which you can see it. It's not topsoil where you dig your hand into it and you have a handful of soil, but it's definitely you know, one to five millimeters easily a year of, of defined soil development or soil genesis. So um, I, I thought that maybe 10% of what we saw out there, well, more like 5% of what we saw out there, looked like it used to be a gravel parking lot, and now it had a lot of weeds on the gravel. But the remaining 95% looked like, pasture land with a, with a variety of species. Now, granted, the whole thing has got like, you know, three tree species. I saw a couple of other conifers growing here and there, mm -hmm. but for the most part, three. So it's kind of monocropish to me, but and I'd like to see more diversity. And, uh, and they're all in rows of, and stuff, but hey, this is kind of a scientific experimental thing, so... You know, find things in rows. Right. Fine, be that way. Exactly. Well, um, uh, but the, the key is is that the, it looked like there was soil, mm -hmm. and on top of that, the trees were like really big. They were very happy trees. Very, very happy trees. Um, and to go back on the on the monoculture uh, aspect of it, you know, like you said there were when I started the project, um, when I very first uh, got involved with the project, there was already groundworks in place, and those groundworks dictated that there was only going to be one species of tree. So. At the time when I was beginning my, my graduate work at the university, I considered it a pretty big success to be able to get the city to say, hey, all right, fine, we won't put one species of poplar in here, but we'll allow you to put in three species of poplars. And then I pushed the envelope a little bit further under the advisement of my, my committee chairs to try to put some conifers in. So we put in three different species of pine trees, Douglas fir, ponderosas, and grand firs, just to see what would happen. Um, and today, most of those trees are dead. Uh, yeah, most, I, the, the, most of the conifers are dead. The, yeah, the, the, the couple <laughs> of conifers I saw, they looked small and sad. Yeah, you know, there's a couple ponderosas that are that are impressive, but the grand firs have uh, have been gone since last year, and there's maybe two to three dug firs that, if I don't keep the weeds really growing around that tree, it's too much sunlight and it'll die. Um, and then also since then, I was able to introduce another three species of willows as well, so we can just observe how the willows seem to like this infinite supply of water and nutrients. But I think overall, with the exception of the conifers, every plant that was put there specifically is doing well. 
That being said, I also have been very careful to let random volunteer species grow, um, and it would seem... Most of them. Most of them, right, most of them. Um, and it would seem that volunteer elms don't mind the treatment. There's also some nine bark out there, which doesn't seem to mind the treatment. We've had uh, at least two or three Russian olive trees sprout up, and they don't seem to mind the treatment. Um, and there's also a few different cherry trees, and it looks like a couple uh, rose bushes finally starting to show up out there. And I'm not 100% sure where these species came from. I certainly didn't put them there purposely, but that kind of helps break up the fact that it is a that it is a very linear trees and rows situation and really arguably the only reason that I can think of that they're in rows is because it is a, an irrigated system that has an individual spray head for the is it 360 trees about that are planted out on that plot so I think that's why I came into straight rows. But arguably, as you said, I would like to take out the rows myself, and I would have planted the trees a lot more dense had I that opportunity to do so. So <clears throat> we now we know what the soil was like four years ago, what it's like now. Mm -hmm. let's, uh, let's look 40 years into the future. So what do you predict that the soil will look like 40 years in the future. Hmm. 40 years into the future, you know, the canopy is going to be closed on those trees. So it really, the first part of that equation is what happens to those trees. Do we let those trees live for 40 years? Do we let that canopy close? If the canopy closes, that changes the dynamics on the, at this point, forest floor. Uh, so our inputs of organic matter will be whatever can survive under that canopy which I suspect will be certain types of grasses, probably the mullein will still be doing quite well, uh, willow herb will probably do quite well, um, evening primroses will do well, other types of ground cover will continually add an organic input plus the leaves off of the trees and any other type of woody mass that came down. So I would say in 40 years, if we didn't remove the trees, we would have we would have a greater porosity overall in the soil. I think that our soils would start to look more like a mollusol, perhaps. So you've got a, a deep uh, A horizon, which is that. So it, depending on where people are at in their soil classification area, you know, there's an O layer, which stands for your organic layer. So I think over time, my O layer is going to increase in size and thickness because of the leaves and all of the duff matter Uh, basically piling up. Underneath of that, I think we're going to have a, a bigger A-level. So the further into the future we go, I think that topsoil layer will continue to grow as the organics break down and form that residual A-layer. And then I think that that's, you know, underneath of that, obviously, we're probably going to have areas where nutrients stop. So we'll have that E or the E alleviation layer where nutrients just kind of get into the soil and they hang out there. But I think that that's, I really think that it's going to resemble a mollusol. If you, if you look into what mollusols really look like, there's a little, you know, there's an organic layer on the top that's not 
overly thick, maybe an inch of tops, and then a very deep A horizon. And then underneath of that A horizon, I think you'll have a little leach pan, and then it'll go into the B, and the B layer will look a lot more like what we saw out there today in those kind of gravelly areas. I think I think your A layer is going to be about two feet thick, maybe a little more. In 40 years. In, in 40 years. Yeah, and and uh, I I also think that um, in 120 years that that your project is going to start to fail. You'll be dead, so you won't care. <laughs> but I I think the project's going to start to fail, and I think that the soil there is going to become. In fact, I kind of wonder what is the pH like right now. Out there, uh, has it become more acidic? No, not yet. I think the pH has still been fairly well buffered. If you want to ask me another question, I, I want to. I want to because I, I think what's going to happen is it's going to start becoming a little bit of a peat bog, um, and then uh, so so you, you know, when you nod your head, the, the pod people can't hear that. <laughs> Yes, it could, you know, there's, and we can even see now in areas where ponding is a tendency to form, you know, above those yeah. layers of asphalt under the uh, surface. So don't let the water pass through real well. So the pH would be like 4.5. I mean, really right, low. Right, that really pH, low. That and Montana is kind of rare where the pH tends to, you know, be above uh, 7. Right. <clears throat> so um, I think there's going to be some of that. I also think that um, the heavy metals from the poop Kool-Aid are going to start to accumulate, and and uh, all the other things that we're concerned about, like the pharmaceuticals, are going to be accumulating, and um, <clears throat> and concentrating in that soil. So after 120 years, there's been so much uh, carbon pulsing through the system, as there should be, right. that that eventually all these heavy metals, it's like they're gonna they're gonna grow up into the tree. And then the tree is going to come down. And then they're going to grow up into the tree, and the tree is going to come down. Right. But it's like, you know, you keep adding more and more and more heavy metals. They just keep being in the tree. So then it's like on year 70, then the tree grows up, and it's got like 10 times more heavy metals in it than the tree that was like, you know, t today's tree. Right. Well, I think, I think, again, going back to the point where Missoula isn't a heavily industrialized city, will help reduce that heavy metal oh, yeah. component for sure. It um, won't be as bad as some other towns, but I think it's right. still there. And I just I just think that it's going to accumulate to the point that that eventually the the system will, will yeah. collapse. I mean there is there is the possibility as industry, if you will, ends up moving in if our if our heavy metal concentrations increase that eventually the site can be rendered more sterile than fertile because of the heavy metal add, add up. I mean, and we've seen that in cities that have used biosolids as a soil amendment on fields where now the productivity of those fields is greatly decreased because of the increased concentration of heavy metals. Um, also, to go back to the pH question, we're currently looking at about a 7 to 7.5 pH in the soil, and that doesn't seem to have changed at all from where we started. Okay. So, that well, we're not very far along. Right. Exactly. I'm. I'm. I, you know, my crystal ball says it's going to get like below five below in, five. in time. And yeah, but but it's like you know, we won't know whether I'm right or not. For Everybody's like, guess. <laughs> we, won't, we won't know whether I'm right or not for probably forty years. So, uh, but anyway, um, that's that's my speculation. I, I and so yeah, 120 years in the future, I think that it's going to start to break down and and not 
and not work. But um, but in the meantime, um, uh, basically uh, all all that stuff uh, concentrated into a, a big pen. Like let, let's say that everything in 120 years they stopped putting stuff out there because the plants were just looking sad, and then everything. I mean, there's so much organic matter out there that everything should be thriving, but it just doesn't. And that's because there's just there's just way too much toxic gick out there. It just it just concentrated over 120 years, mm-hmm. and so now what you have is something that's going to be like I'm going to guess like a four foot thick cake of toxic organic matter, mm-hmm. and and then the organic matter is going to just basically go up into the atmosphere as the years pass, and then eventually you're going to end up with basically a toxic waste site. Mm-hmm. That's my that's my prediction. <laughs> but and and maybe my prediction is different than yours. Well, I, you know, it's, given what I've seen so far in the whole in the whole soil development and the in the process of starting with nothing and now having you know twenty five, twenty six foot trees, I think that it would take longer than 120 years for it to be kind of rendered a, a hazardous waste site. I think that I think that as the trees grow, if they are pulling up heavy metals, which we do know certain plants do pull up heavy metals, they stay inside the tree. If the trees are being cut and left on site, then sure, that could lead to some type of con- compounding concentration of let's just call them nasties at this point, <laughs> versus, you know, if you had, if, if say, those trees were being removed, uh, which which was the original thought of the, pl- of, of the entire project, is that we would take 7 to 12 years to raise trees and then harvest them and put them to some type of beneficial use. But as we've also talked about here on the podcast, that, you know, right now that beneficial use outside of, incineration towards a biomass or a biofuel rather um, is still a little bit questionable you know what is the market for these trees so maybe putting them on leaving them on site may be the best answer but then leaving them on site is also as you point out would be a way to allow those nutrients to or the nasties to accumulate concentrate concentrate yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and so it's like we, okay, we talked about the idea of like well you could burn it Right. You know, like, okay, we're going to heat, people can heat their homes with it. Or gasification, maybe you could gasify it into your standard constituents of carbon and hydrogen and add a steam reformation to put in extra hydrogens and oxygens and then turn that into a a liquid alcohol fuel. That that type of technology is out there and is, is possible, and that would take care of any of these harmful nasties that are in the trees. Yeah, I mean, it would, it would, it would definitely take all the pharmaceuticals, right. and the pharmaceuticals would really be gone. Right. Um, I mean, if anything made I would really doubt that much of it would make it into smoke. I mean, plus the other thing is, is that I think as we have um, composting mm-hmm. in, out there, so like your, your tree grows up, just your tree taking in the pharmaceutical, the tree's going to break it down some. We've certainly and, seen that. Like and then that. as time passed, that's going to break it down some. Right. And then the tree 
flops over and is composting, and there's that's going to take it down. Lots some. of fungal growth, which will take it down some more. I mean, uh, yeah. oh yeah, funguses, funguses have been shown to pull up heavy metals and essentially rearrange them in such a way that they're not even present in the mushroom any longer. Present in the mushroom or present in the wood? Well, present both. in the soil. Present in any. Now, I have, I, so I can understand that for almost any molecule. Right. Like I, you know, like like diesel spills and all kinds of petroleum gross things. Then yeah, mushrooms have done amazing things. All kinds of funguses have done amazing things Absolutely. at taking toxic gick and breaking it down into um, safe, lovely things for the most part. Like ninety five percent effective, ninety eight percent effective. Right. Um, but heavy metals, that's one where it's like these are typically elements. Well, but uh, there's there's a there's a there's what's called chelation, which is essentially when an organism, and I'm going to totally botch this because we're getting, <laughs> we're getting to that fringe knowledge, but there is a chelation factor which can take an active heavy metal, which active meaning that it can go from point A to point B by having a chemical bond to something. Right. So there, with chelation, it folds that uh, it folds that possibility onto itself. So perhaps it doesn't completely leave the system, but it's a no longer reactive heavy metal. It's, it's become less scary. It's right. gone from one flavor of scary to a lesser flavor. To a lesser flavor. Of scary. And, and so like for, you know, but if you look at things like arsenic mm -hmm. um, and uh, mercury, mm -hmm. uh, um, <laughs> then, and then these, these are things that it's like they, yeah, they can move from different states, but they're still quite toxic in most of their states. Right. And um and it's not like the, the you know, the fungus says, I've decided to move it from toxic to less toxic. It it it, it, it just it changes it, but not necessarily, you know, in the way that we that we might want. We the key is that them. for heavy metals they're kinda of tricky because they're right. typically elemental and then um they tend to like like with mushrooms, one of the great thing is that you can put the mushroom you can grow a bunch of oyster mushrooms out there mm -hmm. and they take up the heavy metals. Yep. And then you harvest all the oyster mushrooms, and don't you dare fucking eat them because they're full of heavy metals. <laughs> right. You gotta like hide them over there. Go put them under the rug over there. Yeah. And now, and you're now concentrating heavy metals. At they're just point. over under the rug yeah. instead of like here. Right. And and so it's like, but look, we've made it better, sort of. <laughs> Here, kind of better, but yeah, you know, take him to the dump. Yeah. <laughs> so it's treatment plan. Here's what we've done. We we just take all the poopy bits to the dump, <laughs> which 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 actually, believe it or not, is what happens to some of the waste at the wastewater treatment plant. So I think <laughs> everything that gets pulled out in the headworks building uh, goes the to the dump. dump. <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, there. You go. There, right? What you'll do is you'll, you'll, you'll put in a bunch of oyster mushrooms, they'll pull out all those heavy metals and the toxic, and then you'll go beyond 120 years. Right. There, we've solved the problem 120 years into the future. <laughs> and then you just grow oyster mushrooms, and when they pop out of the ground, so you cut them dump. down and take them to the dump. And then it becomes somebody else's problem after 120 <laughs> oh, years. dump guys. Yeah. <laughs> They're so stupid. <laughs> they, they don't even know what we just did to them. Nope, not at all. <laughs> we we carefully hid it in in their mound of trash. Yeah, under we put it under the carpet. Absolutely. All right, all right. Well, overall, I I do think that um, uh, this is an awesome project. This is, I mean, this is demonstrating uh, uh, a great use 
for um, something which I think, you know, uh, we should all have some concern about, and, and that is, I mean, whereas you would be comfortable uh, with taking your own poop and putting it on plants that would be your fruits and vegetables and then eating that, I would not, I, I mean, like, technically in my mind, it's like everything I know says that it will be safe. And, it, and there's like a high level of assurance to that. But there's a heebie-jeebie factor, which I think is the heebie-jeebie factor here when we're talking about human poop. It's important to to embrace that heebie-jeebie factor. The people still can't see you nodding when you're agreeing (laughs) with me. Well, I I agree that it's important to heed the heebie-jeebie factor, and I I think that each person should do what they're comfortable with. And I think that having the heebie-jeebie factor is actually beneficial. It's more beneficial, I think, to have the heebie-jeebie factor than to not have the heebie-jeebie factor and then actually cause damage to the system. Right. So then I, I think that there's also, uh, um, I mean, for all the things that are known, I, it's like it should be entirely safe. should be. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, I think about the things that are not yet known. And, and and then I think in there is the support for the heebie-jeebie factor, and that's why I'm going to say, when this poop is two years old, I'm going to put it at the base of a cottonwood tree. And then I'll turn it into a cottonwood tree, and I'll walk on it, but I won't eat it. <laughs> right, right, yeah. And, and I agree with that, too. I think that that, I, I think that that is an excellent thing to do with your own two-year process waste. Uh, I mean... I think at the end of it would be interesting to see if you had a whole barrel of poo and you treated it for two years and you allowed it to desiccate and you allowed the the moisture to leave it. I would really like to see how much poo was actually left in the barrel. You look, you open up the wheelie bin and you go hello, <laughs> hello, and it's hello, like, hello, and it's like there's there. just this little tiny bit of something yeah. at the bottom. Hello. <laughs> Hi there. I'm not an ordinary turd. I'm a two-year treated turd. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, at that point, it could just be a handful. Yeah. There's, there's just a handful of two. There's, there's, there's not much left. I mean, if you're a good composter, then you should be able to, like, kind of get that to, to that point. Like, if you... If you really know what you're doing, you'll just keep it composting and composting and composting and composting. And then after two years of composting and recomposting and stuff, it's it's shrunk down to like a cup of and at that point it's hard to call it compost, it's ash. Right, exactly. And yeah. then and then you get back to the point of if you put that ash, you know, where would you put that ash? Would you put it at the base of something you would eat or would you put it at the base of something you wouldn't eat? And I think I think with my uh with with what I feel I know, I think yeah. that I don't think well, that a lot. You've been trained in this. <laughs> I don't think uh, I don't think I would worry about it at all, and using it in any form in that in that case. Right, right. So I I mean, have we have we left out any vectors? Anything to be concerned about? I mean, we've talked about pathogens. We've talked about NPK. Mm-hmm. We've talked about heavy metals. Um, we've talked about uh, pharmaceuticals. Right. So, um, and it's like, uh, and, and, I, and on top of that, we're just skimming the surface. I mean, there's, there is, uh, and, I mean, the amount of information that we're glossing over could probably fill half a library. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and it even it, it does still half of libraries somewhere, you know, or, you know, I've, I've got, I've got a, a large library of documents that discuss this on the computer that I was, you know, not forced to read, but chose to read throughout oh, my, yeah. my educational pathway. And, you know, another interesting thing that, uh, that you brought up is that there's still a large realm of unknowingness. Um, and I say that, I say that because there's evidence out there of, certain soil bacterias utilizing electrons from heavy metals for energy. And what that does when they change the electron count off of your element is essentially change that element so that it could become reactive or unreactive. And I think that we've just begun to kind of skim the surface on that. And, you know, maybe 50 years from now we might look back at the Poplar Project where there's lots of water going onto the ground to realize that maybe we are setting up for a perfect storm that is going to lead to a failure of which, you know, like Donald Rumsfeld put it really well a couple of years ago, the unknown unknowns will rule the day. <laughs> mm, okay. Well, I think that um, the probability of success is very high. Absolutely. And I think I, I very much like the idea that um, uh, that for the Missoula sewage treatment plant that they're doing this project and and exploring the space. And at the same time, I think it kind of sets a precedent for what's the next level. So when they say, when when the, the, the powers that be at Missoula or wherever say, we want, we don't like the poop in the Clark Fork River. We don't like the poop Kool-Aid going into the Clark Fork River. We want something better. We want to be better than that. And I, and I like the idea that they don't say, we're going to force everybody to be better than that. I like the idea that they're going to say, we're going to allow people to be better than that if they want to be better than that. And they want to travel their own path. And, of course, they pay for everything. You know, leave us out of it. Um, and it's like, man, that would, that would, it seems to me like that's a path where it makes uh, for less demand on the sewage system in general. Right. Um, which helps to improve the whole poop Kool-Aid factor, uh, and and it just is it helps to blaze a trail for um, uh, the United States uh, on, on how to, to deal with a lot of the stuff. Particularly smaller communities that don't have the monetary basis to build a multi-million-dollar wastewater treatment facility. That's true. They could say, okay, who wants in on this, and who wants to like if we could if, if there were a book that was out about gray water plus composting toilet um, and, you know, your cottonwood tree, mm -hmm. uh, kind of a thing, and like you can have your own cotton tree at home, cottonwood tree at home, mm -hmm. then uh, it seems like here's this cottonwood tree system and uh, total cost for you to install it into your home might be $2,000. Uh, and then here's the whole getting hooked up to the sewage system and that's assuming that there's something on the other end, but just getting hooked up to it, $25,000. Then there's the fact that it has to actually exist, right. and that's going to cost you something like $100,000 per home over the next 50 years because, you know, they're going to get all kinds of bonds and things, and right. somebody somewhere is going to get fucking rich yeah. on, on building this thing. Right, absolutely. Yeah. So... Um, 
So naturally, the people that want to get rich, they're going to be, you know, they're putting going to push for that conventional system. Yeah, yeah. Because that makes the most amount of sense, and it, and it also, I mean, it makes the most of sense in an economy based on infinite expansion. Besides the point, but also the big takeaway point with traditional wastewater treatment plants is that they need upgrades, they need constant repair, they need to be managed and manipulated in such a way that it continues to have a consistent end product or a consistent end treated water. Or maybe the EPA wants the water quality to be better, so then it has to have a whole other piece attached to it. And every time there's another piece attached, or every time something breaks that has to be replaced, or every time something just needs upgraded, we're talking millions of dollars, not just a few thousand dollars or a few hundred dollars here and there, millions of dollars. Well, okay, so yeah, and then there's there's this, you know, freak show amounts of money that go into something like that, and, and then, but it's, on the upside, it's like, you know, you can go and talk to one person rather than having to go to every house in all of Missoula, because then that brings up the next thing uh, in this. <clears throat> like, let's say everybody in Missoula said, we don't want to do this. We're all going to do the, the, the cottonwood tree approach. So, um, however, you, you got to account. I, I like the thing that George Carlin says. He says, think of how stupid the average American is, and then think about half of them are stupider than that. <laughs> and, and so then it's kind of like... Uh, uh, the whole idea that there's going to be like 20% of the population that's going to like phone it in, they're going to like somehow screw it up, mm -hmm. and and that's going to make our groundwater awful. Um, and I mean they're going to I mean I'm not exactly sure how they'll do it. <laughs> and in fact, that could be a book of comedy right there. Absolutely. The the uh, 10,000 people, the 10,000 families in Missoula that screwed up the Missoula aquifer and 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 in each story and how they went about doing it. <laughs> so, um uh I I mean like I think about the the Jenkins uh humanure stuff mm -hmm. and it's like I don't like that he goes out and he's like, "Here's a 5-gallon bucket full of shit." Yeah. And it's fresh. <laughs> and then I'm going to go and put it on top of a compost pile in winter while it's pouring rain. Yeah, exactly. Don't worry, it's safe. Because I said the magic words, it's safe. <laughs> so um, hmm. I I kind of feel like uh, um, that's not good because now other people might might do that system. Whereas if you've right. got the two year thing, I think I'm not as as worried about it. There's the NPK issue, right? But it's like oh, you put it on your so it's like if people can just wait and put it on their cottonwood tree at the right time of year, mm -hmm. and it's two years old. Um, then that seems like that's okay. And then if their gray water system has a little um, greenhouse, mm -hmm. then it's like, well, that seems like that's going to all be safe too. Well, and you know, there is it's not it's not a cut and dry. The future is what we want to make the future. And if we wanted to, if we wanted households to treat their waste, and we wanted to eliminate the need for essentialized wastewater treatment, we could also envision a company or several companies which came to households and took that barrel of poop and they took that and ran it through a regulated system of of composting and then did something else with it. Now we wouldn't be very much further away from where we are now, but we could still potentially eliminate that centralized 
poop treatment in this form that we have it now, um, which now you have a mixture of industrial waste with human waste, as we've pointed out throughout right. the conversation. So, and way too much water. And way too much water. So if you can cut parts of that equation down and reconfigure the system, I mean, in, in Haiti right now, which isn't really that great of an example to use with America, because Haiti, by all general terms, is more of a third world country than a, you know, a pharmaceutical pop in first world country like America. So already you've, you've lessened pollutants in poop. But Haiti has a system that seems to be working where there's composting toilets installed in towns and there's a business that comes to those towns and takes their barrels of poop away and they run a large composting business, not that much different than eco-compost, and then they're using that final composted product to re-fertilize Haiti's soils. I would argue that it would be vastly superior to eco-compost. Because um, these people aren't going to really be on any kind of drugs, right? Um, you know, any kind of pharmaceuticals, and you're not also mixing in some kind of industrial scariness, waste, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And so I would, I would imagine that it, you know we're back to that point where it's like, yeah, I would totally walk on floorboards made with cottonwood trees that came from that poop, right? Exactly. And now I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Um, and and so, um, uh, all right. I think I think we've covered this one pretty thorough. Have I left anything out? Anything else that needs to be added in here? I uh, I don't think so. I, I think that I think that we've definitely gone around the bush and hit all of the all of the possible angles anyone could, <laughs> anyone could consider. Um, I'm sure that there may be more, but perhaps they'll uh, they'll pop up in the comments section to the video. <laughs> oh right, there you go, there you go. All right, well if you like this sort of thing. Come on out to the forums at permies.com where we talk about where to put your poop, <laughs> how to treat your poop, <laughs> homesteading and permaculture all the time. <laughs> <laughs>